God has a great plan. Before the world was created, God had a plan. And sometimes in the midst of life, we cannot see what God is doing, and that's why he has revealed to us his word. And it's so beautiful, and God ordained that I would get invited here today in between Acts 7 and 8, right? You're going into Acts 8 next week, and providentially, um, God is orchestrating some things to show us the bigger picture of life. So I'm going to, I think it's going to be on the screen, Psalm 150, you don't have to turn there. Our main text today is in John chapter 4. We're going to be covering verses 1 through 42. Everybody gasp real quickly. (gasps) 42 verses? Yes, 42 verses. But I promise you, we're going to look at it from a very big biblical theology view here. And so, in Psalm 150, this is what the, the Bible says to us. This Psalm 150 is going to be the launching pad for our missional call that's then going to be fleshed out for us today in John chapter 4. Okay? So have this in the backdrop of your mind as we jump into John chapter 4 here in a minute. Here's Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the trumpet sound. Praise him with the lute. And heart, praise him with tambourine and dance, praise him with strings and pipe, praise him with sounding cymbals, praise him with loud clashing cymbals. And here we go, verse six let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. David Platt has said there is an estimated 17,000 people groups on the planet, and God deserves praise from every single one of them. Yet thousands of these people groups have yet to be reached with the gospel, which means that hundreds of millions of men and women who have rebelled against the sovereign glory of God have never heard about the saving grace of God. So in John chapter 4, verse 4, The text said, and he, that is Jesus, had to pass through Samaria. Now, why did Jesus have to pass through Samaria? Jesus had two other ways in which he could have gotten to Samaria if he chose. But the text tells us, John tells us emphatically that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Geographically, that does not make sense. But yet it does. You see, the Bible teaches us that God does everything that he does for his glory. Isaiah chapter 48, verses 9 through 11 says this, For my name's sake I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. God does everything that he does for the sake of his own praise, his own glory. Not only does God do that, the Father do that, but the Son came for one purpose. John chapter 17, Jesus says, I have glorified you while I was here on the earth. 
So Jesus came and all that he did was for one purpose, was that it might profane the name of his Father, that the glory of God would be gladly reflected back to him through his people. You see, Jesus doesn't see the world like you and I see it many times. He saw people in light of God's redemptive plan that was started before the foundation of the world. That there would be a people that would be redeemed for the praise and the glory of God, and they would enjoy him forever. And so Jesus is compelled. He's compassionate. Over and over we see that Jesus had compassion upon the people, and Jesus had to go to Samaria. The name and the glory of his father were at stake. There are worshipers of God to be made in that city of Samaria. And so he had to go. And if God does, the Father does everything that he does for his own namesake, and Jesus came to do everything that he did so that the Father would be glorified, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for his people that are here today that are called by his name? That means 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever you do, do it what? For the glory of God. You see, as God's people, we've been called to do everything that we do so that we would gladly reflect back to God his infinite worth. You have been saved, church. Listen, if you're a Christian here this morning, you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have been saved for a greater purpose than to live your life out in existence as an individual in your own world doing your own thing. That's not why God saved you. That's not why he saved me. He saved us so that we would make much of him, so that we would proclaim his name to the nations, to the people in our neighborhood, to the people we work with, that we go to school with, that we play with, that we shop with, that we would make God's name beautiful among the nations, that we would be a light. The first question in the Westminster Catechism is this, what is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? To glorify God by enjoying him forever. That's right. The chief end of our existence is to glorify God. So church, what are you living for this morning? What motivates you to get out of bed in the morning? What motivates you every single day? What moves you to do whatever it is that you do? Are, are you living for the moment? Are you, are you living for the praise of people, for the next big adventure in your life, for the next vacation, for the next purchase that you would make in your life? Are you living in such a way that we are giving praise and exaltation to the American dream or God? Because you can't, can't have both. What are we exalting by the way that we're living our lives? We're called to make much of God. But I want you to notice that Jesus here goes to Samaria, and just as a side note, wearied as he was from his journey, he, sit, he sits down at the well. Guys, we get tired. 
and life is going to beat you up. And you're going to put in hours at your office, or you're going to spend hours with your kids at home and doing laundry and doing dishes and cooking and, and, and doing yard work. And you're going to spend countless hours doing ministry. And you get tired. And you get wore out. Listen, I want to encourage you this morning. If your hope is found in those things, if your strength is found in doing those things, because of the satisfaction in and of those things, you're going to give up. You're going to be so drained that you can't push forward. But listen, Jesus knew that there was a greater purpose for him being there. He understood that my calling in life is that I would bring honor and glory to my Father. And the same can be said for us. Look, life is hard and it gets tiresome. But we have to constantly stay focused that God has a people that He wants redeemed for His glory. And Jesus knew that. And that's why He went to Samaria. Even though He was tired, He engaged this woman. And I want you to notice immediately in verses 7-10 through 10, that this woman sees that there's an issue with Jesus saying something to her. It says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The Jews saw the Samaritans as worthless, as dogs who who weren't worth anything. And, and so the Samaritans were these outcasts who, who were descendants from prisoners of war from Assyrians that had married with Jews. And then you had this whole group of people came out of it called the Samaritans. And so they weren't pure Jews. And so the Jews hated them for that. And there was this hostility that ran between them. That's why it's so, this passage is so important for us as we think about God's global purpose and redemption is that Jesus is going to a a part of the region that he shouldn't be going to. It was, un, it was unclean. It was defiled. And yet here he is. But Jesus saw something different. Jesus knew that there was a person that was dead in their sins. A person in need of salvation. You see, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3 that there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who seek after God. And if the chief end of man is to glorify God, then we need to be understanding that there are people all around us that are dying and going to hell. There's a sin problem in their lives. 2 Corinthians 4.4 tells us that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. And yet Jesus here has compassion on her because she is blind and she's heading to an eternity that is completely separated from God. Jesus doesn't care where she's from. 
He doesn't care about her lineage, how loose her morals are. All he wants her to hear about is eternal life. And so he offers the only one that can satisfy her, himself. Look at verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. God declares in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. That is, they have rejected, his, rejected God and His gift of grace. They have trusted in everything to satisfy themselves except God alone. And people all around us are trusting in gods that are not God. And they will never satisfy the longings of their life. The living water speaks of God's grace that is mediated by the Holy Spirit into the hearts of God's people. Jesus is wetting her appetite for something greater than what she's had himself. The living water that will forever satisfy the longing of her heart. You will truly never, ever, ever thirst again when you meet Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I have one thing to offer you, and it's me. Notice her response in verse 15. Give me this water. Give me this water. Now, she doesn't want to be thirsty again. I mean, she's still thinking physically here. She's thinking, man, I don't, if, if I don't have to thirst again, that's an option. That's awesome, because I don't have to come down to this well and get, get the water out of the bottom of this well and then take it back to my house every day. She's thinking, this is a great thing. She doesn't want to be thirsty. She doesn't fully get it, but she's on her way. And so Jesus confronts the sin in her life. She has sought to fulfill her thirst for life through men. And it has led to a life of hardship and brokenness. She wants the holes in her heart to be healed. The desires to be satisfied so the pain of hurt and abuse and loneliness will go away. She just doesn't know how. And so she keeps looking externally to the things of this world. In verse 26, Jesus looks at her and he says, I am the Messiah, the one who can satisfy the longings of your heart for life and affection. It is me. I am the one who has come. And something happens within this woman's heart, and she's changed forever. Somewhere in the midst of this conversation, we don't know where, but somewhere in the midst of this conversation with Jesus, the scales that the, 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 the God of this world has put over her eyes have fallen off, and she sees Jesus as the satisfaction for the longing of her life. Jesus, the hope. And now she has a different life. If the great aim of our lives is to glorify God and to point others to glorify Him, listen, church, we have to give them the gospel. It's not enough just to say, I live a godly life in front of people. We have to use our words 
we have to speak truth into their lives. The only way they're going, that you're going to engage people with the gospel is if you see them the way Jesus saw them as lost and hurting and dying and lonely and going to be separated from God for eternity. We have to see people in the world that way. They're not good people. We are not good people inherently of ourselves. I work in the electrical industry, and I get it all the time. Oh, man, he's a good old boy. No, he's not. I wish that he was, but because he lives in Texas and he takes care of his family, because he puts in a hard day's work, he's a good guy. No, he's not. That's not what the Bible tells us. And we've got to put on the eyes of Jesus and start seeing people for who they really are. And so I ask you this morning, how do you see people? You see them worth your time? Do you see people as trash and unworthy for you to engage them in conversation? Do we put on our American pride and say, well, those people hate me and they're trying to kill me, so I'm going to hate them and kill them too? Don't think that's not going on in our churches today. Because it is. Maybe you wouldn't say that this morning, but maybe you just won't associate with somebody because they're immoral, because they have a foul mouth or whatever it may be. I don't want to hang out with that kind of person. I'm going to get dirty if I hang out with that kind of person. People are going to think that I'm a sinner. Guess what? That's what Jesus was accused of. You want to be in good partnership? You want to be in a good relationship? Be associated with somebody? Let's be associated with Jesus, who was a friend of sinners. C.S. Lewis said this, There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. It is immortals whom we joke with, we work with, we marry, we snub, and we exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors, all day long we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these. That's monumental for us. Jesus is the only way to eternal life. And if we want His name to be famed and His glory to fill the earth, then as we engage people in conversation, we should be more concerned about where they spend eternity than anything else. Everything else is broken cisterns that will never satisfy people. It's going to leave them empty and thirsty. We don't want to leave them there. Perhaps you're this morning, you're here this morning, and you're searching for significance in life. Maybe life has had no meaning till today. Maybe it's filled with hardships and pains and loneliness. Listen, To me, Jesus is the only one who can satisfy your thirst for life. The only one. Nothing else will ever do that. I promise you. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. God is holy and just and righteous. And as men, we are sinful and in direct rebellion against God and under His just condemnation. But 
God demonstrated His own love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There is hope for you this morning. If you're here and you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ, there is hope for you this morning to experience newness of life, to walk out of here different than the way you came in. So I ask you this morning, at the end of this service today, there are going to be elders around, I'll be around, come and talk to us. Jesus is the living water that will cause you to never thirst again, the one who can forgive your sins. And when you do that, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, then life can become for you a well springing up in worship. This, this woman in, in verses 19 through 24 is where we're going to be now. She's not quite there, but to, to get this thing off of her sin, and Jesus has been pushing on that, she starts asking about worship. And, and Jesus is not caught off guard by this. This is the very reason that he came, because he wants her to be a worshiper of his Father. So Jesus is not caught off guard by her changing the subject on him. He actually wanted it to go here. That's what he came for, to make worshipers of his Father. She doesn't understand worship. It has nothing to do with the place of where you worship, and it has everything to do with our head and our hearts. God is seeking people, John 4, 24, God is seeking people to worship him in spirit and in truth. He's been doing that since the beginning of time. And that's why Jesus, tired as he was, is sitting on that well, talking to an adulterous Samaritan woman. Spirit, Jesus becomes for us the greatest treasure and our emotions are engaged in worship. As the Spirit moves into our hearts and He calls us to engage our affections in our worship of God, our spirit is the furnace that burns hot with a desire for God's glory. That, that's our affections. Our spirit is what moves us. It motivates us. It, it's the emotions of our hearts. And God wants our affections. He doesn't just want our lip service. He doesn't want us just to have this head knowledge of who God is. But He wants our hearts to be engaged. My wife would hate it if I told her all the time, I love you. And I'm only saying that because it's out of duty. And, there, and there's no affection behind it. And I don't grab her and hug her and say, I love you. I treasure you. If I just, that, that, would not, that relationship would never work. God doesn't want us to worship him with just our heads. And that's the danger in churches like ours. We get filled up with knowledge. And we somehow tend to leave our emotions for sports and our kids and everything else in life and we don't engage God with our emotions but he says here that I want both spirit and truth that is the word of God John Piper says the Bible is the fuel of our worship I love that 
It's like an anthem of my life. The Bible is the fuel of our worship. I promise you, I, I, I was a pastor for a number of years, and as I, as I waned in personal devotion of spending time in the Bible for my own soul, and not for the souls of everybody else, but for my own soul, when I waned there, the flame of affection started going out for people. And I hated that. I loathe that with every fiber of my being. And so if I can encourage you this morning, I know you're tired. And I know it can be hard. Life gets in the way. Heartaches come. You can be down physically and emotionally and then spiritually you're down. And perhaps you don't even know why things are happening the way that they're happening and all of a sudden you have to come to church on Sunday. It's like, I don't feel like worshiping. How many of you ever came to church and not felt like worshiping? It's like, I, I know intellectually I have to be here, right? I mean, that's what I'm supposed to do. That's my duty. And that's okay. Let me just go ahead and settle that right now. It's okay to be here out of duty. But don't let it stop there. Don't let it stop with duty. You may be emotionally detached this morning and your affections just aren't engaged. And I'm speaking with Christians here this morning because we're the only ones that can worship in spirit and in truth. So I'm speaking to the church. The called out ones, those who are God's people here this morning, you may be emotionally detached because of life and what it has done. And I get that. And I've been there, but I want to encourage you this morning, if I can. Jesus knew that there was a woman in Samaria that needed to know that she was loved and cared for. And right now, this very moment, God knows that there are people inside of this church that are hurting and need to be loved and need to be cared for. And he wants to wrap his arms around you this morning. I know, some of you may not think of God that way. I'm sorry, I should preference that. My, I, I look at God as my father because that's what the Bible tells me. And if the Bible tells me so, I believe it. He is my father who is sitting there waiting for me to come and to sit down at his feet and let him wrap his arms around me and hold me. Isn't that glorious? That we have a, we have a God in heaven who created all things and yet he's like, hey, come here. I know you're tired. I know you're wore out. And I know life has beat you down. And I know you're emotionally drained and you're only here at service this morning because of your duty to be here. But yet, let me, let, let, me, let me just speak words of truth into your heart through my word. Let me wrap my arms around you and care for you. Man, if you don't see God that way this morning, let's talk after service. Because that's who he is. He's not, he's not some policeman in the sky, some, some, some 
ogre up there that's ready to beat down on you. He is a loving and gentle and kind father who loves his children immensely. And he has greater things for you than you will ever, ever know or ever imagine. So let me encourage you this morning. God sees your pain. God sees your tears. He sees your hurts. He sees your despair. He knows it. And listen, He is using that to bring you into a deep, abiding relationship with Him through His Word so that you will worship Him in spirit and truth. John Piper has said, there is not a single moment of your suffering that is ever wasted. There is not a single moment of your pain, your despair, your tears that are ever wasted. God is using those situations in our lives to refine us and cause us to fall down in adoration and worship and praise of Him. He is doing something glorious in our hearts this morning through our pain and through our suffering, just like he did with the woman at the well. She was hurting. She came there unexpected. It was her duty to be there at that well to get water. And Jesus met her right where she was. He said, I love you. And I care for you. And I want to see you be a worshiper in spirit and truth. So drink deeply from God's word so that your soul is satisfied in Him. Notice the psalmist, if you're having a hard time getting your emotions involved, go back to the psalms. There's such a wealth of of just affection that is involved in the psalms. And, And the psalmist knew the ways of the Lord and how it overflowed in this beautiful, blunt, passionate, unashamed outburst of deep love and affection for God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And that's what I want to encourage you with, church, this morning. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Open the Word of God every single day. Even when you don't feel like it, pour into it. Because God can do something great through His Word in your lives. That's what He desires. Don't nibble. Don't eat like a bird. I love to eat, man. I love to eat. That's a bad habit physically. It's a bad habit to love to eat. Why do we come to the Word? And and it's a problem in America, right? I mean, why do we come to the Word of God and say, a little dab of do you? I'm going to spend 30 seconds a minute in the Word and and I'm good for the rest of the day. But yet we, we we don't do that with our food. God, you, you can't be filled. Your, your emotional tank can't be filled. Your desire to see the nations reach the gospel can't be filled if you're not pouring yourself into God's Word and allowing that Word to then flow through you into the lives of others. Only God's Word can change your heart and change your passions and change your desires. Music and singing and service Those are just overflows of a heart that is filled with delight in God and all that He has done for us in Christ. 
Singing is not going to fill your heart with an affection for God if you've not already spent time in God's Word. But a life that is overflowing in worship will be a life that is overflowing and moved to action. In verses 27 through 42, we see the actions of the redeemed. Have you ever been so carried away with your work that your hunger pain subsided and the mission, the work that was in front of you became your food that you totally forgot to eat? Totally like, I don't have time to stop and eat. I got to keep working. My wife's a CPA and... and, uh, there have been many times during tax season she's come home and like, I'm starving. I'm like, eat lunch. I was working. I was busy. I didn't have time to stop. Deadlines, all these things. Her work became her food. It became what satisfied her at that moment. And that's exactly what Jesus is describing here. No, no one brought food to Jesus. Notice what he says, my food is to do, the will, to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. He has been about the work of the Father to make worshipers out of this adulterous Samaritan woman and it has filled him up. I'm not hungry. What are you talking about food? I've been eating. I've been doing what I was supposed to be doing. Notice how he ties in the harvest. Do you not know that there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? You want to talk about food? There's a harvest out there. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. You want to eat? You want to be filled? You want to be filled to overflowing? The harvest is ready. Go get it. Go reap the harvest. Go tell them about Jesus, the one who can redeem them from their sins. See what this looks like. Look at verses 28 and 30. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. In her joy, In the overflow of what's just happened in her heart, she leaves the task of filling that water pot and she goes into town and she begins telling everybody. Now look, this woman is probably not popular. Even in her own town, she's probably the outcast because of the way she lives. But she goes into town, she says, you're never going to believe who I met. Can it really be the Messiah who's come for us? And they, res- and, and, and they responded. Do you see the harvest is ready? And if we will go, God will reap that harvest and bring them to himself. Notice that what happens as a result of this woman's testimony. The father chooses, the son redeems, but it's God's great pleasure to have us involved in his great missional work of making worshipers of the nations. All we have to do is take them to the knowledge of, the, of, the, of Jesus Christ and God does the rest. We can't save anybody. This woman went into the town and said, you're never going to believe who I met. Look at what he did for me. 
And they said to her, it is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed what? Who? The Savior of the world. I believe that woman sitting on that well with the Son of God was set on fire with a passion for God's glory. And it consumed her so much that she could not contain it in her bones. And in her joy, she left what she was doing. She said, you know what? That'll wait till later. I have got to engage these people with what I just found out. This story is about a woman who encountered Jesus and she was never the same. And guess what? Neither was the town that she lived in. I ask us this morning, how has an our encounter with Jesus Christ changed the world in which we live? How has it changed your block and mine because of what our relationship with Christ? Are you living in such a way that it moves people to the glorious reality of salvation through Jesus Christ? That's why you were created. That is our chief end. That, you want purpose in life? You want to know what God's will is for your life? I'm going to go ahead and settle that. It's your sanctification. Your sanctification so that people will become worshipers in all the nations. That's why we were created. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I plead with you to repent and turn to Him. The elders will be out here. I'll be around. Please, come and talk to us. We'd love to tell you more. Christians, how, how is your affection for God this morning? I know you read your Bible. That's easy, right? We can, we can check that box. But are you in love with the one whom the Bible points us to? Are you in love with him? Is your heart growing warm thinking about spending time with God this week in light of this message? I pray it is. If it's not, then I'd love to pray with you this morning. And I know your elders would love to pray with you this morning. Ask God to reignite a passion in you for His glory. That you would now put on the same eyes that Jesus had when you look at people. Maybe life has gotten you down. Maybe you just flat wore out this morning. Pain, struggles, they're real. God loves you. He has a plan for everything. And he's meeting you right where you are this morning. He wants to restore your heart and your affections. Go to your elders. Come and pray with me. But seek the face of God. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Everything that has breath praise the Lord. Is that your war cry this morning, church? 
Is that the trumpet call of your life? That every person I come in contact with, I want to see them be a worshiper. The harvest is ready. Go ignite a passion for God's glory in all people. No matter their background, I don't care where they are politically, even our enemies, so that every breath would praise the Lord. Let's pray.